Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, hey. Oh. <laughs> how do I sound, Mandra? Struggle bus is how you sound. <laughs> Just a little bit of the struggle bus. How are you? Uh, for those who don't recognize, this is Tiffany. This is Mandy. And this is Brown, Brown Ambition. Ambition. <laughs> I know, honestly, so every year I usually have one really bad cold and it typically takes my voice and this is that time. I got it back yesterday, but it's clearly not fully in. So, you know, here oh, we are. Man. I was like, we're back from vacation. We're going to like sound like we have a new lease on life. <laughs> <laughs> and here I'm sounding like, you know, the frog prince and I. Um, yeah. <laughs> No, honestly, I don't feel bad, which is good. It's just that I just sound crazy. And so, I mean, it's just, the, it's the last leg of, of this cold. So, you know, if you guys can bear with me, um, how was your weekend or how was your, your time away? Oh, I didn't actually go anywhere. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I did book a vacation, a kind of, I booked a flight. That's something, right? I haven't actually planned. We know where we're going. We just haven't planned anything like lodging or um, activities, but like, it's nice to know that I booked something. Where, where, do you, you mind sharing? Where are you guys going? We're going to do a little road trip from Seattle. I have a friend in Seattle um, who lives there and we're going to do a road trip from Seattle and I want to see the rainforest. And then we're mm-hmm. going to go to Vancouver, like the British islands. I've heard it's really nice up there. Ooh, so. that's nice. It's like, um, you ever watch like Anne of Green Gables? I, I never watched it, but I read the books when I was little. Yeah, I forget what like that. I don't know if that's the same. I'm probably like people who are probably Canadian are like, oh God, girl, no, that's not like the same. But anyway, I've was heard she it's Canadian? Yeah, it was. It was taped in some place in Canada that was really pretty, and I remember. Um, this travel group that I was a part of, there was a woman who lived in that kind of area, and she was like, "Oh, you should come one day. It's really beautiful." So, well, maybe I'll do the Anne of Green Gables tour. if you guys know anything to do in vancouver or um or in seattle let me know because i honestly have had zero time to plan other than i bought the flights but i just heard it's really pretty so that's nice i've never been to seattle before other things have been so the reason i haven't really been able to go anywhere is like work's been crazy but um we finally finally were able to start on i saw i saw i was like lucky you actually i was gonna i'm gonna have to hit you up like um so i got my contract from finally we picked the contractor and we got the contract but i'm like i wanted to make sure were there any components that i should really look out for in our contract we literally just got it this morning so we could talk offline about that but i was like ooh, let me ask mandy if there's some key things i should know 
Yeah, our I love our contractor. I mean, knock on wood, it's only been like a week, not even a full week, I don't think, since they started. I think it's a week tomorrow. But um, he's been super um, communicative, and I think he's he's the kind of person I wouldn't mind getting bad news from. Okay. Um, but I don't know. It was like the month it took us to get the permit approved. It was like do it was nothing happening for so long, and I was so yeah. frustrated. And then the day after Labor Day, we get a text from Javier, our contractor, and he's like, you guys ready? And I was like, yes. And he said, how soon can you be out? And we were like, tonight? And then all <laughs> of a sudden, I went from living in a house, you know, like being in the suburbs to back moving in with our, my mother-in-law in um, upper Manhattan and back on the subway and moving in a new office. And, and then next thing I know, the house is like being blown apart and – our yard is being dug up and it just all happens so fast. And I, I know that's what I've heard. Like, honestly, that like once you get started, it's like, so I'm excited about like, we're supposed to start. I mean, we're going to apply for permits now, but we would start like, I think like October 15th. That's like, cause he's, he's projecting. Cause same thing. We have to wait for permits, but I'm just excited. I mean, I was hoping to be in there by Christmas at this point. I'm just can't wait to be in there. Yeah. But, um, on good news, like I, I don't know if you saw that I have this like trip going to Morocco for next year. I think that was the last thing we talked about on our last show. You talked about planning that trip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not planning anything. Oh, sorry. You know <laughs> what I mean? Company. Yeah. But it sold out. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, people really want to go to Morocco to come see me. I mean, we put it up a week and I said, look, the, the, the company, the runway experience, I said, I'm going to be honest. I mean, it sounds like an awesome idea. I've been to Morocco before for my birthday one year, um, and it's amazing, but I don't really see people going to come to Morocco to talk about money with me. But if y'all want to do it, hey, I'm down. Um, and a week later, we sold out. So I'm, I'm super excited. It's about 40 people. Um, oh, and so I know. So it's, 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 I'm excited. And, you know, if this goes well, which I'm sure it will, I'd love to do something like this, like, you know, once a year, once every other year. Um, because like, who doesn't love to travel? And if y'all want to talk about money while traveling, I can do that. So I missed my chance. It's too late for me to sign up. <laughs> I want to go like, to Morocco. Legit. Some of my friends were like, but wait, why didn't you tell? I'm like, I didn't, who knew? Girl, I didn't. I mean, I don't want to go to Morocco with myself. I mean, not like that, but like, I just, I honestly thought, okay, 10, 15 people somehow, you know, might want to come and, you know, maybe in a month or so, but yeah, I'm just. Honestly, I'm I'm excited to see because this, this company, the Runway Experience, has a really great reputation for for um, hosting really amazing um, experiences, and so it's a full week. So, but that's what's exciting about it is that we'll get to really experience um, Morocco versus like oh, there for a few days and you go home, you know? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, congrats, Miss International Speaker. <laughs> Does this make me interested? I remember one time, like when I first started off, I was like trying to like claim the international speaker role. So when I went to Nigeria to visit my cousins, I was like, come sit for this this quick budgeting lesson so I can call myself an international speaker. <laughs> I think this is legit. When you're selling out stadiums in Morocco. Yeah, stadiums. That was they are now stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> Stadium sized classrooms. <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. So well, on a, on a not as, as fun note, why did I get like fussed out by this company? Because Dreamcatchers didn't want to buy their product or service. Ooh. And this person basically said like Dreamcatchers didn't want better for themselves and didn't want to invest in themselves. And hmm. I'm reading it like, wait, what? Can we say um, what company it is? No, because we kind of both know the person. So. <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking about. Ooh. Yeah. Salty. 
it was really bad. It, and I was actually surprised. And, you know, I really had to be like, you know what? I can understand the frustration of your wanting. Obviously, everybody wants to run a business and you want to be successful. But I did a little digger, deeping because at first I was really mad. But I did a little d- digging and, you know, I reached out to some folks who experienced, you know, um, the company. And they were like, it, it wasn't bad, but it was just that. I didn't get I didn't get anything in order to take the leap to purchase because I was thinking to myself, you know, there were some some gross blanket statements like they don't want to invest in themselves. And I'm like, well, that's just not true. I mean, I I mean, you know, firsthand when I you know, when it was just magnify money, but that, you know, that they purchase products and services all the time. But I've kind of to me, the rule of thumb for myself and what I kind of teach them is that look for a company that's looking to invest in you before you invest in them. Meaning like, you know, like, am I learning something? Is there, is there an educational component versus me just buying, you know? And so I think that part, not that that company doesn't do that, but they didn't illustrate that beforehand. And as a result, the conversion was terrible, but I just thought that like, I mean, the email was like kind of vicious and I was like, wait, are we strangers? (laughs) Like what? And I thought to myself, it was just like a really good eye opener in that, you know, you have to be mindful about who you, I mean, I'm always really careful about who I share my audience with. That's what, that's why this was really disappointing because this is not some stranger to me, but I, you have to be really mindful just even just as a consumer about who you, um, you know, who you patronize. Because I think to myself all the time when I'm like, everyone knows, the whole team knows like that I don't allow anyone to speak disparagingly about the people we serve because what sense does that make? Mm-hmm. You know, like, so like if we're in the service business, you know, then we can't talk crazy about the very people we're trying to help, that there is no place for judgment in service. There just isn't in my, this is what I believe. And um, I won't allow it. And I told her that I was like, look, I feel you. I mean, fellow CEO to see, I get you girl, but I can't tell, let you talk crazy about my audience. Like, you know, like, and especially the way you're talking, I'm like, yo, this is not unique to them. It read very much like you and you and them over there. And I was like, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> it was very borderline. Like, uh, what, what are we saying? Your people, you people. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. It was, you know, not fully. And I won't, you know, cause I hate to throw that around, but it, it felt like that. And I never felt that like hmm. from someone, you know, and it, honestly it was really disappointing. And then it was like, um, you're not doing a good job, Tiffany. And I was like, you know what? I don't mind critiquing criticism, but like, I, one thing I, I always, that's why I'm so glad we have a guest today. But one thing I always say is that my expertise is not everything. I'm really good at budgeting. I'm really good at saving. I could teach you how to pay down debt. Everything else, I bring folks on on purpose. So that's why I look for partnerships. So yes, because she was like, I don't think you're able to take your, your, your audience to the next level. And I don't disagree, but that's why I partner. But I just thought it was like, honestly, it was mean spirited. And I just had to remind her that like, just because people are not willing to invest in your things, it doesn't mean that they're not willing to invest in themselves. Those are not, those are two separate things. And it was just really disappointing, but also very eye opening. It reminds me of like, I love that show on CNBC called The Profit, where Marcus Lemonis goes into struggling small businesses and tries to save them. And all these businesses are dysfunctional in some way. And almost every episode, the business owner is like in denial and tries to blame their lack of success on like people around them or the, the customers. They just yeah. are just dumb. They don't know this isn't the this is the best thing ever, but people just don't know it. And I'm like, they don't want to look at themselves and, and see what's wrong 
Like they're too afraid to look at themselves and think, yeah. oh, maybe it's something I did or maybe the, my product isn't as great as I think it is. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, I mean, it sucks that you were the on the receiving end of that like insecurity and lack of awareness, but hopefully on their end, they are taking some time to reflect because, I mean, if they want success, the, the way to get there is not by denying that you have issues that make customers not yeah, want your product. And honestly, I think it's a great service. So I'm hopeful that like, and it's a needed one and one, especially in our, in our, our, you know, profession, it's one that's like, honestly, most people don't want to take up. And so I was really excited. So I think that there's still something there. Um, and hopefully like, I feel like it's better left said like in person. Cause I was like, you know what? I've already said my piece and I, you know, I definitely, I mean, the first iteration of my email was definitely not what I sent over. <laughs> I literally sat on it for three days. Mm. I was like, you know what? It's still a lot of sass in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very mature way to approach it. Yeah. <laughs> I tried so hard because I was like, because one of my friends, like, and we could, <coughs> excuse me, that we can move on. But one of, one of my friends, he always reminds me of whenever I'm like, you know, upset. He's always like, well, what's the desired outcome and work toward that. And so my desired outcome was not to lash out or to make somebody feel bad. Honestly, my desired outcome was to hopefully reach some sort of understanding where I'm like, I can show her, I understand you, but at the same time, hopefully to get her to see that this is not the way and that you don't, you don't get someone to that space by like, you know, lashing out at them. So I had to remind myself, but it took, honestly, it took three days. And then honestly sitting down with a friend of mine to be like, could you like help me to reword this in a way that's less, like, you know, mad. And so she helped me to really tone it down mm. and, you know, and to send it over where I felt like, okay, this is much better. I mean, her reply back wasn't the greatest. It wasn't like, you know, it was kind of like, and she replied back right away. I'm like, so I'm the only one taking time. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like, yeah, girl, I hear you, but still. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm going to see her in person. And I'm sure by then we'll both have calmed down and been like, you know, maybe there's some middle ground where we can meet. But until then, I will not be sending anyone in that direction at all. So in this scenario, you were like Serena and she was like Naomi Osaka. <laughs> I'm yeah, trying to yeah. find a segue so we can talk about that real quick. Yeah, so let's talk about, and I kind of felt that. You know what I felt like? I felt like, how come she gets to talk crazy to me? Honestly, Mandy, that's how I was feeling. I was very frustrated. Like at one point, I was like to the point of near tears because I was like, yo, how come she gets to talk crazy to me and about me and this group of like brown women who are trying their best? But like me, I have to be careful because I know that if I come at her with that same energy, it's going to be, oh my gosh, clutch my pearls. Black girl Tiffany, whoa, I knew it. I knew it. You know? Yeah. I was so, that's what made me so livid. I was like, yo, this email, you were talking reckless and crazy. Like, People people throw hands for less. And I'm like, and nothing happened. There was no preamble to the to her vicious email. There was no like it was like literally my my I, I Facebook messaged her and said, Hey girl, hey, what's up? You know, how's the conversions going? Let me know, blah, blah, blah. That was literally my my Facebook message because we're cool. And then the email was vicious, vicious, vicious. Hmm. So I was like, yo, why do I have to take three days to Rusa and get a friend of a friend and say, What do you think? And then as soon as I send it, within 10 minutes, you get to come back swinging again. The thing is, and, like, it's not about can, it's like she shouldn't, but like you, you, you don't have to do what you did, but because it just it shows what kind of person you are I mean that's the high road it's like the high road's hard to take sometimes um it's a choice though like you don't have to but would you be as successful if you didn't probably not 
But I guess I feel like it just feels so unfair because if I didn't take the high road, the consequences are different. I mm-hmm. guess that's what I mean about having to not be vicious back. It's like, why do we have to take the high road? Why, you know, why can't I just be just as passionate without being labeled as difficult or whatever? You know what I mean? The difficult woman, the hysterical woman, or the angry yeah. black. It's like we get the double whammy. The women yep. double standard, the black woman under double standard, especially in business. Yeah. Yeah. So it just felt very, that felt really frustrating that it was like, wow, like, yo, I could never write a, an email mm-hmm. like this to someone. I could never speak to them crazy. Cause then it'd be like, whoa, you know, like that, this is, a, but like it, nothing's going to come of it for her. You know, I'm sure like, you know, this is not the first time she's probably exploded on someone and it's been okay because she's not Brown. And so it was just really like, you know, like frustrating, not, not just for like um, her message to me, but just in general. And it really, it was like, oh, I couldn't have come at a worse time with this watching Serena defend herself and say, hey, this is not fair. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just like, but then it's like, you know, that terrible cartoon that that Australian um, illustrator created of Serena, it was just honestly, oh man, it's, it's, it's exhausting to be in spaces where everything about you is considered the wrong thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to try to pretend like I understand the rules of tennis. I don't watch it. I don't know what a 6-4 and a 6-2 is and a match point and all that kind of stuff. But I do understand the gender dynamics. And I feel like Serena is such an icon because her whole career has been battling this type of treatment. Like no one wants to give her credit for being the best fe- the best athlete of all time. They want to call her the best female athlete of all time. Mm-hmm. You know, they they tried to um they tried to deny her talent by saying, "Oh, well she has extra, you know, she's a black woman, she's so muscular, her body type." Like all these, you know, thinly yes. veiled criticisms, these racial un- undertones to the criticism against her. Like this is nothing new for her. I I'm I'm glad to see like such a swift um, and, and huge reaction. And I mean, not just in, not just to support Serena for how she was treated, but also to support Naomi Osaka, who yes. did win. I mean, I'm not going to say, I don't understand the rules, but it seems like she won fair and square. Um, you know, her first Grand Slam title. And I thought that Serena handled it in a really classy way. And, you know, it sucks that Naomi's win was sort of tainted by this controversy but at the same time I'm glad Serena was like not today not this time I'm not going to yes. shut up I'm not going to stand down because yes. don't you also feel like you don't want to be the like sometimes you don't want to be the one to say it's because I'm a woman or it's because I'm black because yes. you can feel people around you get uncomfortable or yes. or or like not believe you and you don't even want to have the conversation with anybody like yes. I don't want to have to tell I don't want to have to sh- tell you why this is because I'm a woman right now because it's so exhausting to me that I have to tell you you know, or I don't and want because to. Because it's like, oh, here they go again. Exactly. You know, and like, you're like, but it, it I mean, is it? And so, because you, you hate to, you know, you're like, oh, they're always playing the race card. And I'm like, well, if it is because of that, like Serena, from what I understand, no one has been drug tested more than Serena. They're like, I mean, to, to the point of excess. Where it's like, yo, she's never been found with anything in her system. And yet you guys drug test her like crazy, you know? And like, just like, and the fact that, you know, Serena gets blood clots. She has this great, um, I think it's an HBO special called 
being Serena or something like that, raising Serena. It's a great like five or six kind of like um, docu- uh, five part documentary. And she talks about like even when she had her baby, she almost died um, because Serena has like this condition where her um, she gets blood clots. So yeah. she wanted to wear for the was it the French Open wanted to wear that like cat suit. Mm-hmm. because it's like pressurized to keep, you know, the blood flowing. And they were like, no, even though there were other women who were allowed to wear um, that, like a similar cat suit. She said, Serena has a different body. And I just thought to myself, like, um, this is this is like crazy. How much are you supposed to take? How much are you supposed to just be like, okay, like, I mean, it's just, I just, it's hard, man. Like sometimes you don't realize until something happens and it triggers. You, I, When I grew up in Westfield, which is like I said, majority white and very, very small, like population of anything else. Um, like we would go to the pool and it was nothing. You know, it wasn't until like I started going to the pool like with like, um, um, sisters and like young brown and black women that I noticed that like by age eight, little black girls, you notice as many would wear t-shirts over their bathing suits. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that little girl, <laughs> you know, but I just thought to myself, like, why are our bodies like bad? You know what I mean? I remember being so like surprised, like, why are you wearing a t-shirt? Oh, I can't show off my body. I'm like, we're eight. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just, uh, like, I don't even think people recognize how exhausting it, it can be to be a woman, you know, but especially, a, you know, a brown woman. There's every time you turn around, how you are is told to be unattractive, you know, too aggressive. You're too loud. You're too happy. You're too this. You're too that. You're too passionate. You're too, you know, how dare you stand up for yourself? You're, I would like somebody who's like meeker and, and, and less uh, powerful. And, oh man, like, it's just, you want to like scream sometimes. And sometimes you feel like no one is in your corner, but your other sisters. And it's like, but we're in everyone else's corner. Look at every rally. Who do you see there? You know, us, even if it's not about us, you see us and it's just uh, like the world would miss us, boy, if we weren't here. What would y'all what would y'all do without brown ambition? Quite honestly, when you reach a certain level, it's just you have to really have a great support system around you, because other than that, it'll drive you crazy. If you don't have people who are like, like, you're not crazy, you know, you're not crazy. Like, you know, this is unfair and it's okay to feel some kind of way about it. It's important to have like a good, you know, support. That's why I just love the BA family because you guys are always so dope. Um, so yeah, boost to Serena, boost to Naomi. Boost to us while we're at it. Yeah. Just because <laughs> you get a boost. You get a boost. Everybody gets a boost. <laughs> booze i'm excited that we are talking about dun, 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 retirement today <laughs> not retirement but investing overall investing um, yeah are you yeah. guys are you guys ready because you've been asking who my financial planner is and i'm i'm gonna do you but one better than actually telling you her name i bring her on the podcast my personal financial planner helen no is joining us today she's been i've been um a client of helen's for uh, since 2016, I want to say right, right after I got engaged, and she has been through my um, my marriage, like getting married, and then buying my first house, and she's just been such an awesome person to work with. So when we started talking about doing an investing show, I thought, why not bring 
Helen to the show and actually talk about the way that she and I have talked about investing for wealth because I think Tiffany and I have like towed around this topic. You know, how do we start investing outside of our 401k or outside of our IRA? Um, So that's what we're going to talk about in today's show. So you guys, before we get started, just a quick disclaimer, anything on this show, we're going to be talking about investing, talking about different brokerages and robo-advisors and all types of things. Everything we say is just hypothetical. It shouldn't be taken as investment advice. This is for education purposes. So if we mention any companies, they're not recommendations. We're just doing some casual examples today. In other words, don't come and try to sue us. Hey, thank you for having me, Mandy. I'm so excited to be here. It's like Welcome, the Wizard Helen. of Oz. It's like the thank Wizard you, of Oz. Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> the big reveal. The big reveal. So this show is so important to me and Tiff because she and I have talked about this again and again. How do you start investing outside of your 401k? Just like Tiff, you said, once you've maxed out your 401k, you've got the match. Maybe you've opened up a little IRA on the side. You've maxed that out too, and you still have money in the bank. It's an awesome place to be, but I feel like some people, I don't know, I think Tiff's had this problem. I've had this problem. You end up carrying money in cash in your cash savings, and you're like, I know I probably don't need this much money in savings but I also don't know what the heck to do with it. So where do I start? And that is what we're going to talk about on today's show. Let's start with what investing is. Like, I know that you think that people have sort of a misconception about what investing really means. And what does investing mean when we're talking about outside of your 401k? Right. So there's a huge difference between saving and investing. So when clients come to me or when I, when I, you know, onboard somebody, they say, oh, yeah, I'm invested in my 401k at work. And really, all they have done is put money into it. And they haven't actually invested the money that they saved or transferred into that account. Um, So again, a 401k, Roth IRA, traditional IRA, those are all different types of accounts, what you do with the money inside those accounts, because it can simply just sit in cash if you don't actually hit uh, buy or sell in those specific accounts, that's when you're actually investing and putting that money to work. So in very simple terms, investing is putting that cash to work and putting that money towards, say, a stock, a mutual fund, an ETF, some sort of vehicle um, that you purchase that has a potential to generate income or growth for you within that account. So let's start with types of accounts. So once you've maxed out your 401k and you have extra cash in the Mm -hmm. bank that you want to invest, um, do you do what I did, which I think is probably not the right thing to do, and just start randomly buying <laughs> stock on Robinhood because you're too afraid to commit to something more serious? Yes. I feel like I skipped a few steps, but um, yes. yeah, where do I, where should I have started, Helen? I'm sorry I didn't call you first. I've been oh, messing that, around behind your back. That's okay. <laughs> so, I, I knew you had that Robinhood account. I think that was like your fun money investing without any strategy behind it, right? Not a yes. single strategy me, to be found. Me, me as well. No, this is my strategy. <laughs> What'd you say about that stock? Let me see if Robin has, has that available. <laughs> three, please. Yeah, and buy it for free on there. They have no transaction fees, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, zero, so, zero dollar trades. It's awesome. Yeah, so that, um, so you can go on Robinhood, which is a zero transaction. You can buy Tesla or whatever sexy stock that you might have heard from your uncle or <laughs> the guy or girl you met on the plane. Um, 
but but there's definitely a strategy behind it. So if you have already maxed out all of your different types of retirement accounts, including your traditional IRA, Roth IRAs, and 401ks or 403bs, even your pension plans, what do you do next? So the next step that is most efficient would be to open um, an investment account. So like you, Mandy, you opened up a Robinhood account, but then, like you said, there's no real... Uh, strategy behind it. And and what I, I typically tell clients is if you've if you've never really selected individual investments before, um, you start out with the basics. I, I, I kind of refer to um, cooking or you know, it's like cooking. You want your salt and your pepper, your basics of your spice in your investment portfolio. And the stuff, the investments that you have in your Robinhood, that's like adding paprika or a little bit of salsa or spiciness to your overall investments. Does that make sense? Um, so you want your foundational investments, like investing in domestic uh, U.S. mutual funds or ETFs. Um, typically, I, I, I recommend to clients to just purchase ETFs. I mean, there's uh, thousands of them out there now that are much cheaper than investing in mutual funds, which charge you a, a higher upfront fee depending on the, the class share. I mean, we can talk. I can talk on and on about that. But yeah, um, we'll start start with what an ETF is. And yeah, I'm interested for your definition of it because I think I know what it is, but I probably don't. Yeah, so people will say, "Oh, I, I just want to do index funds, Helen." Well, you can buy index funds as a mutual fund or an ETF. An ETF basically stands for exchange traded funds. So let's just say you are interested in buying. Um, shares of Amazon, which is at two thousand dollars a share right now, right? Do you do you have two thousand? Like you you put in two thousand dollars, you bought one share. Okay, wow. big deal. <laughs> 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 big freaking deal. <laughs> um, same thing with with Berkshire Hathaway. I, I I'm not really sure what the price is now, but it's but it's in the thousands. Mm. So you got to have a lot of money to even buy one speck, one fleck of that investment. So with ETFs and mutual funds, just imagine you wanted to get into some tech stocks, but don't have $2,000 to buy one share, but you do have $2,000 and you want to diversify. You can invest in those index funds. And the more cost efficient way is to to purchase ETFs because they have very low um, management fees versus a mutual fund. You purchase it up front or, or you, you pay the fees up front or uh, typically what they call a 12B1 fee, which is an ongoing 0.25% on top of the, the purchasing fees. So, and ETFs are more tax efficient in that they um, don't necessarily, um, you know, uh, reinvest the dividends and, and, and distribute it to, so, yeah. So an ETF and, is like, um, is you're not just investing in one company, you're investing in like, so you can get a tech ETF that has, um, um, that lets you invest in multiple companies all at once. Exactly, right? exactly, okay. exactly. So think about it as a bucket with different pebbles in it, and each of those pebbles represents a different stock, say okay. Facebook, Amazon, um, whatever other tech stocks you can think of. Um, okay. so, so yeah, if you don't have 2000 bucks just to invest in one stock, you can purchase an, an ETF uh, or an index fund mutual fund that has no fees up front. So there are mutual funds that are very cheap that are called no load funds. Okay. Um, have you guys heard of that before? No, no load is it, is mutual it, is funds. Like, like Vanguard? Do they? Is that I've heard like? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Vanguard is 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 one of those uh, companies that that have very limited op 
portions of no load funds. So load just means fees. It's an industry term that, that we use. But if you see it says no load mutual fund, that means that there's no upfront fee for it. There is okay. still a management fee because there's a team of investment folks. managers. Yeah, folks. <laughs> 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 people managing that particular mutual fund or ETF, let's just say. And that's called like an expense ratio, right? Yes, exactly. Ooh, I read oh, a book this you Tiffany, you got it. You got well, you know, it. I'm not going to lie, to be honest, I just read a book this weekend and I'm like, oh, I know things. Wait till we have Helen on. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm not all that smart about that stuff. It, it, <laughs> you yeah, show it I off. Mean, we, we can get as, as technical as, as we want, but you can just go on Google Finance or Yahoo Finance or whatever and type in tech ETFs and you'll get hundreds of them listed. So and, yeah. let, let's back up for one second because you mentioned like when you're building your spice cabinet of your portfolio, mm -hmm. starting with your salt and pepper. So if I'm, you know, I think we have a good sense of brokerage firms that are available. So there's Vanguard, there's Trans America, Trans America, is that true? What did I, what mm -hmm. am I trying to say? TD Ameritrade, yeah. um, Charles Schwab, yeah. there's all these kind of discount brokerages. So when I'm building my portfolio, can you talk about the salt and the pepper? Like what are the, do I, do I find the domestic stock ETF and the international stock ETF and then start adding other more industry specific ETFs like tech or bio or cannabis, like these exciting ETFs? Yeah. So start broad, very broad with your foundational asset classes, U.S. domestic, international um, ETFs or mutual funds, and then throw in some fixed income in there, such as municipal bond funds or uh, long-term bond funds, because it offers you a higher um, interest rate. And then there's also short-term bond funds. So, so have a mix of your um, fixed income portion of your portfolio and then the U.S. and some internationals in there as well. And then you can go in with your Robinhood account and add in, oh, I want to buy two stocks of or two shares of Tesla or, you know, my biotech ETF uh, mutual fund or, or whatever. Um, so that's adding in the specific sectors is adding in the oregano and the paprika and all of that. And you're trying to build out a sexier spice cabinet than just your salt and your pepper. But you always have to have your basic salt and pepper, right? How mm -hmm. much should be that salt and pepper? <laughs> Do you? I've always heard there's that yeah. rule of thumb, like you take your age and subtract it from 110. And then the bigger number is how much you should invest in stocks versus bonds. Is that like dumb? I mean, I've, I feel like I'm very aggressive. I have most of my 401k in stock and I have most of my IRA in stock. And yeah. it feels good because the stock market's been doing so amazing. But I'm in my 30s now and part of me is like, should I? And to, and to be, you know, I think a lot of people start out like I did with target date funds, which are supposed mm -hmm. to um, which are supposed to shift as you age. But I'm wondering, like, how often should I be looking at my allocation, you know, and, and how do you decide how much to put into the stocks versus the fixed income, like the bonds that you were talking about? Yeah. So those target date funds, those are very convenient because you just put money in there and it automatically invests for you and, and it's turnkey. So as you approach your retirement age, say it's 60 or 55, it automatically switches to a more conservative portfolio each year as you get older. Um, so, you know, believe it or not, with target date funds, they're mutual funds within that mutual fund. Is, is what's happening in, in that type of investment. Um, so 
going back to you, to your main question about how much, like what percentage, well, it, it really depends on, on where you are. Like, Mandy, you're, you're in your thirties. So I would hope that you're invested more aggressively in your, um, retirement portfolio, but in your investment account, that's outside of your retirement. So are you investing for, um, in that investment account for the next five years, 10 years? So let's just assume that you're, saving for a house and you want to put 20% down and that's going to cost you what a hundred thousand dollars for example and you need that money in five years you might not want to invest too much in in equities or or individual stocks because you're going to need that money in five years which goes by really fast okay. does that make sense yeah so I, it's almost like i'm asking the wrong question first i guess the first question to ask when you're starting to invest outside your 401k is what am i investing for like long term exactly. or short term Yes, and for what time period um, are you investing for? So your retirement accounts, if you're young, 20s and, and 30s, or you have more than 10 years of retirement, you know, think about the, the business cycle, the ups and downs of the stock market. You can be a little bit more aggressive. You can have like an 80, 90% equity portfolio and 15 to 20% fixed income. That's that's pretty aggressive. Now, Mandy, I know yours is like 99% stocks and yeah. equity. So I mean, you just go and put me on blast like <laughs> that's not from my direction. But. <laughs> Helen's like, just to be clear, I've told you. <laughs> I'm way more old lady about mine. I'm, way, I'm definitely, just so people are clear, because sometimes the words can be like, wait, what does that mean? Equity is stocks. And what was the other thing you said? Um, Fixed income, which is bonds, CDs, okay. cash equivalents. Yes. So just so we're clear, just so people are not like, wait, what does that mean? Because I'm yeah. so like that sometimes when it comes to like the financial words. Okay. Yep. Yep. So um, when I say equities, I mean like stocks and yeah, pretty much stocks and, and any ETFs that invest in stocks, mutual funds that invest in stocks. But when I say fixed income, I mean like more secure investments um, like bonds or um, cash. Cash, I would consider that as fixed income as well. So more more secure um, investments. I think so, for... I think since, I mean, Tiffany and I both have a house and I think both of us are in a place where we want to, when I think investing for wealth, I think mm -hmm. I want to build a brokerage account where when I'm, you know, 30 years from now, when I'm retiring, I'm living off the income from my mm -hmm. brokerage account. So that to me seems pretty long term, like 30 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is long term. And you can have multiple investment accounts for different things. So let's just say, you know, you have an investment account that's in addition to your retirement accounts yeah. and it's earmarked for 30 years from now. And then you have another investment account that's earmarked for 10 years from now when you want to throw, I don't know, a big 50th birthday party or 45th birthday party, whatever it is, um, or celebrating, you know, a house purchase. Um, that Those like the timeline that you have for each specific account really matters because it really determines how aggressive you can be, how much spice you can add. You don't want to invest in Tesla, for example, and expect it to, you know, be there for a year and, and protect your principal a year from now. That's just unrealistic because that investment is so aggressive okay. and unpredictable. Yeah. One of the things I know that I want to, um, because I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I was a school teacher for 10 mm -hmm. years. And now as a business owner, I mean, I make more than I could have ever dreamed of. And, but mm -hmm. I still live basically like a school teacher. That's good. Um, and so I have, you know, maxed out like the traditional, like an, um, retirement kind of like 
plans and what I want is I'm 38 and I would love by 50, like this is my husband and I, our goal is by 50 that we are financially independent. That I, I honestly still see myself working just because I enjoy it. But by 50, if we didn't want to work, and you know, like, and by then he'll be fully invested. He works for the city, so he's got great, um, great health insurance, and he could take that with him. And if he didn't want to work, we'd have health insurance. And like, I would love to be able to say we make six figures a year from not doing mm-hmm. anything, you know? So that that's mm-hmm. kind of like our goal. And we're, that's what we're kind of struggling with. We're like, so what do we do with our money to set us up for that potential? Even though at 50, we might say second career or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's kind of like our goal. But I don't, I'm not going to lie. I don't know what to do, like to get to that space where it's like, okay, 12 years from now, what do I need to put away now and where to put myself in that position? Because I think I make enough to do that, quite honestly. I just don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So, so the order at which you withdraw from your accounts is really important too when, when you retire. What, how old did you say you wanted to retire at? What, what was your ideal age, Tiffany? I would say I would like to be financially free by 50. Not okay. that I would pull out from my retirement account, yeah. but whatever the investment account, it's enough to yield me, to yield my husband and I collective $100,000 a year, knowing the house is paid off. Mm-hmm. We don't have any, like, you know, we don't have really any much overhead as far as like bills, you know, um, but that's more than enough to sustain us both. Yeah, so 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 let's just stick with a round number like that. Okay. You're saying it, it's a hundred thousand dollars that you're going to be spending basically for your lifestyle costs, and let's just assume between you and your husband, um, you're working part time as I don't know a librarian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That that's my retirement dream is to accumulate so much money where I can just <laughs> be a librarian. Oh, that's cute. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> or or be a professor part time or uh, whatever. Um, just to get the health benefits and get out of the house. But anyways, um, so you know, twenty five thousand dollars from your library job and he's making another twenty five thousand. So fifty thousand dollars total from just W two income, for example. So where are you gonna going to generate that extra $50,000, right, from your investment portfolio. Well, 50, you're still too young to withdraw from your accounts, your retirement accounts, without any penalties or additional taxes. So that's where your investment account comes in. And that's what I mean earlier when I said the order in which you pull from your accounts to supplement that $100,000 lifestyle you're trying to achieve is really important. So you got to figure out what do I need to invest in that will yield me X amount uh, of, that would yield me $50,000 at that point okay. and then work backwards from there. Okay. Now I like, cause one of the things we bought, we just bought a, an investment property mm-hmm. um, and we're thinking about getting a second. Cause that, that would be one of, that's one of our ideas of like, okay, well if the yeah. rents from here yield us, I don't know, $2,000 a month, we start right. to chip away at the goal. Yeah. Well, well, that's another $24,000 right there. Mm-hmm. So now you just got to come up with $25,000 from your investment portfolio each year. Okay. That makes sense. So so investing, like, you don't necessarily have to invest in the stock market. Um, if you want, I mean, another great source of, of income later on is, is in real estate if you have the additional side money to invest in that type of um, vehicle, I should say. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, sometimes it's the challenge is deciding what to invest in first and like in what mm-hmm. order. And mm-hmm. I was I've gone through, you know, we get questions from readers all the time. And I think one of the most common ones is I have a little bit saved, I have some debt, I know I need to be worrying about retirement, but what comes first? Is it my emergency fund? Is it my um, 401k? Um, or, you know, should I be paying off this debt? And I imagine a lot of your clients maybe are in the same situation. And I wonder what mm-hmm. your response typically is for that. Yeah. So, so first of all, th- there's different types of debt. If you have student loan debt or credit card debt, definitely try to pay those off fast. Um, so same thing with your mortgage. Try, try to pay that off. But with a mortgage, it's a little bit different because that is money that you are investing in a home that has the potential to increase in value and has the potential to earn you back money. Whereas those other types of debt, like student loans and credit card, that doesn't pay you back anything. You're just putting paying another institution back for what you borrowed earlier on. There's no growth potential there, if that makes sense. Um, so so investing in a home or, or having a mortgage, that's an investment type of debt or financing debt, I should say. Um, so yeah, there, pay off your debt as quickly as possible. Build an emergency fund because you never know when you're SOL. Um, you know, and, and whatever you, you feel comfortable with. And, and typically I say it's not just X amount of your or percentage of your income. It's really what is your total debt payments each month and what are your total fixed expenses each month and multiply that by three or, or six, depending on um, the level that you're comfortable with. Usually I encourage people to have between six and 12, but if you know, three, three is a good number too. Three months worth of, of fixed expenses um, is what I, I typically tell my clients to have as a cushion. Mandy, have you shared with, with your listeners how much you are comfortable with in an emergency fund, quote unquote? I mean, I was just thinking how many conversations you and I have had about that. Um, I mean, don't put my numbers out there, Helen. But oh, <laughs> also, I, w- I want to know, Mandy. But um, I mean, they're quickly depleting because of this home renovation. But um, yeah. no, Helen, definitely, we've had these real talk conversations where she's had to tell me, Mandy, you're not poor. And maybe you're saving too much in cash for your emergency fund. I think I wanted like 12 months. Yeah. And then, yeah, if you want to talk about that conversation that we had. because yeah, was... Please preach to me, Helen, because Mandy and I are sisters, soul sisters in um, hoarding cash. It doesn't make any sense. I look at my bank account and my husband's like, you know, you know, we don't live in the Great Depression, right? I'm like, you never know. It's, yeah, it's funny that we're having this investment conversation, but you guys hold on to your cash so tightly. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I bought a house, Helen. Come on, I'm making strides. That, that, that is investing, <laughs> too. I, I think sometimes people, um, you know, you, you are investing in, in a risky asset, too, because you're, you're hoping that the value of your house will produce income in the future if you decide to move out of it, Mandy, or, uh, you know, I, I really strongly believe that the home value is going to increase once you renovate it and all that and where you live and everything. But, um, I mean, you were the first person I called when we were buying the house just to like talk me <laughs> off the ledge. I was like, I know it sounds right on paper, but what does Helen have to say? And you're like, I don't think that this is part of my regular monthly check-in, but, um, no, I, yeah, it's, 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 it's scary. Even though you think intellectually, you know, it's important to diversify your assets. It's still, you know, yeah. buying a house, investing in the market, uh, things can go wrong. Do you think it's like yeah. for you, Mandy, it was because of the recession? Is that why you think? Because I know for me, that's where my fear came from. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, buying a house, I also feel like the market is really hot right now, like homeownership, mm-hmm. like the prices are going up, inventory for homes is low. I'm buying in an expensive market. I just really mm-hmm. didn't want to make the kind of decision that would haunt me later down the road. So for me, it was important to put down at least, I put down a good chunk of my savings for the down payment and make sure that um, we were at least going to be not underwater on the home and did some research into how our neighborhood performed after the recession and where the median market price was to make sure we weren't overpaying. But those things for me as an investor are important. The facts are important. Like, And I like what Helen, I feel like we you do a good job of like walking me through the facts versus mm-hmm. just saying buy a house or, and I think if you, if you're listening and you're thinking about a financial planner, um, find one who doesn't just tell you, well, you just do, you should do this or put your money here. Like find one who actually explains the why behind the decisions and the, in the, in the recommendations. Yeah. I mean, $50,000 in the bank account is a lot in cash. I I had a client, a new client today come in. She has $980,000 sitting in a Morgan Stanley account for the last five years. What kind of account? Just like savings? No, it's an investment account, but it's just been sitting in cash uninvested. (gasps) Like what? Yes. Yes. So yes. it sounds like it's a insane. cousin of mine. <laughs> I'm not too. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not too far. I'm not too far away. Like Helen, I was so bad. I actually bought my house in cash because I had so much money left. Over. <laughs> well, <laughs> Tiffany, that's yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I don't. I feel it's just this fear of like if I if I don't see it. If I can't hold you, where are you I gonna go? <laughs> I get it. It's 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 you you buy a house because it's tangible, you can touch it, you can you can rub yourself all over <laughs> yes. it. You know. <laughs> but whereas like an investment account, oh, I'm gonna hit buy and then it just sits there. Like that's not sexy. Yeah. You know, like you kind of forget about it. And and I feel like with this client who came in, she had no idea what to do with it. So so now she is it's just been sitting there for the last five years. She came in, showed me the statement, I said out of nine hundred thousand dollars, you only made thirty three hundred dollars in this account last year. Are you kidding me? Well, yeah. Okay, I and feel better about my life. So by, the time, <laughs> by the time I get there, I, you're not that bad. <laughs> I mean, I wish I had that problem, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, but honestly, it's this is good though because I think uh, I think some people, you know, they think they'll never get to a place where they can invest, so they don't mentally prepare for. Like, okay, because you, you know, if you really work toward paying down your debt, you'll, you'll be in a position where you can invest past your retirement. And what does that look like? So what are some things that people can start like mentally preparing for or planning for? Or is there a book they can start reading? Or is there a person they need to sit down with to prepare for that day? I mean, just what I always tell people is just think about, um, do you guys remember how much the cost of stamps or, or gas was like 10, 12 years ago when, you know, or, or back in your childhood, do you remember how much stamps cost? I remember like, gas was one twenty a gallon when I was 16. Yes, it was crazy. <laughs> I had day. my license and I was like, everybody had five on it. Like, girl, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And do you remember when gas was actually $5? It was more than milk. Yeah. And that wasn't too long ago. So I tell people, okay, if you, your money is sitting in cash. Guess what? You're what you're not realizing is the two and a half, three percent of inflation that occurs on average historically, eating that up. So if your money is just sitting there in cash at point one percent, you're you're losing money every day. Yeah. I mean, we at least got that that online savings account. Uh, on flow oh, the high interest with the high interest yeah. we're, we're, we're maxing out our online savings but yeah I 
uh, it's definitely time for both of us to, well, Tiff, you have a brokerage account. I think, well, Tiff's like next level. She has, you know, she's a budgetista. She's selling out, <laughs> selling out <laughs> retreats in Morocco and stuff. Whatever. whatever. In, in the real world, the rest of us <laughs> just have some pennies to throw around. Um, no, but so let's talk. I mean, I feel like the, the acts, there's so many like platforms now trying to target yeah. millennials, like, or not just mm-hmm. millennials, but people who are at this stage and want to start investing outside of their 401k. There's never been more options like Acorns, mm-hmm. Betterment, Wealthfront, um, Digit. Was that investing? Um, I'm not really sure. Robinhood. So can we talk about like robo advisors and these yeah. um, accessible investment platforms and when they're a good idea, maybe when they're not a good idea? Do you have an opinion on? these easy access robo-advisory firms? Yes. Of course, I have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a safe space. <laughs> we don't have any sponsorships okay. with them. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so it really depends on how involved you want to be. If you are hands-off and you're like, you know, I want to get into investing, but I really don't care or have the time to sit, pick and choose and read the perspectives or, or look up what ETFs I'm, I'm interested in, go to those cheap robo-advisors who, you know, charge like 0.25% to manage your investment portfolio or, or your retirement accounts. So you open up, a, I think at Betterment, you can open up a Roth IRA there, um, put, you know, your 400 bucks in there each month and it automatically invests for you in a, an ETF portfolio. Um, so if you are looking for something cheap and efficient and hands-off, that would be the way to go. Um, if you want to be more hands-on and pick and choose stocks, um, you know, go with a discount brokerage firm like TD Ameritrade or Schwab or um, a Fidelity. They just charge you like $7.99 or $4.99 per transaction. And if you really want to get sexy with it, which I, you know, don't really recommend because it's very expensive, <laughs> is to go to the more traditional wirehouses or brokerage firms like Morgan Stanley or um, what is it, Merrill Lynch. I mean, they'll, they'll charge you a commission based on the amount of shares you buy. So if you're really looking to save money, I, I would go the discount brokerage uh, route, or if you want to be completely hands off, the robo advisors are the way to go. Now, my own, the only caveat with the robo advisors, you can't buy individual stocks in there. So if you want to keep everything in house and consolidated, um, you know, you can't hit purchase a single share of Amazon in those types of accounts with, um, you know, platforms like Betterman or Elevest or. The last time I checked, at least, you weren't able to do that. You're just pretty much preset to um, a certain portfolio. Say you wanted to retire at, I don't know, 20 years from now. They'll put you into a portfolio like that. It's it's similar to that target date fund, Mandy, that you were mentioning earlier. You just mm-hmm. kind of set it and forget it. Um, now, the maximum you can contribute to an IRA, so if you're opening an, a, another retirement account outside of your 401k, that's 5500 a year, right? But we're talking about like an, a brokerage account where there's not a limit on how much you can save each year, right? Yeah, correct. Yes. So um, we, we call that just a regular investment account or retail account or brokerage account. Those are all, it's the same freaking account. Um, <laughs> would you recommend, <laughs> well, would you recommend, I op- uh, not me, but generally, if you're, if you're, if you haven't opened an IRA outside of your 401k, do you make that your first stop and then think about the discount brokerage after you've um, put your 5,500 away, um, for the year or do you do both at the same time? Yeah. So those brokerage 
houses that that you're talking about, like where you open the account um, in in our language, we call them custodians. Like all of those platforms that I just mentioned or that we just mentioned, you can open up a Roth IRA, traditional IRA or investment account at any of those places. So the type of account, um, yeah, you can open up, say, a Betterment Roth IRA. Um, but if you want, if you've maxed out your 401k already, the next step, um, if you're looking for more tax advantage accounts to, you know, not pay any taxes later on or, or defer more this year, um, open up a Roth or a traditional IRA for sure at, at any of those brokerages we just mentioned. And then after that, once you max out that, then open up um, an investment account. So you can do both. You can have an, an, yeah. uh, a 401k and a traditional IRA. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I think that's where I'm heading next is just to open up. Actually, Helen, you know, we opened up a Vanguard IRA and then just like didn't mm -hmm. do anything with it because I got cold feet. I don't know why. I'm crazy. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, was look, I, was, I was looking heavily, quite honestly, into Vanguard as well because I, um, I just read like I like kind of like the philosophy of the company that like you know that the um, I guess it's the profits go right back. It, it's not like they have investors except for the people who are actually purchasing the mutual funds or ETFs, and I kind of like that. And that they're not heavy salespeople. That's something I read. I don't know if that's true, mm -hmm. but you know you're not going to be like upsold to these things that you don't kind of need. Because um, even for me, like I want one of the one of my goals for next year is to offer um like a retirement benefit to the people that work for my company. And so I've been like weighing companies and Vanguard has been like really coming up on top. So yeah, so it's good to know that that's a company that's, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I guess no company's perfect, but it's definitely one I've been looking heavily into. It's, they're, they're not bad. I mean, I personally, I use TD Ameritrade for myself and for my clients. Um, and you can actually buy Vanguard ETFs or mutual funds within other brokerage accounts. So hey. Tiffany, if you have like a Schwab account, a Roth IRA Schwab account or, or a Schwab, I don't know, um, investment account, you can buy Vanguard funds in them. You know that? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to use, open up a Vanguard Roth IRA to purchase their mutual funds. So it's a like, you know, pick a, pick a, a, a platform and say, Hey, you know what? I really like TD Ameritrade's, um, customer service and just keep everything in house for easy management of all your accounts and not have to a zillion different accounts yeah. at a zillion custodians. And can you do individual stocks at these big brokerages like Vanguard, TD? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I Vanguard, think that's... I'm not sure about TD Ameritrade, Schwab for sure. Fidelity. Sure. Yeah. You're able yeah, to. Yeah. Fidelity. Yep. For sure. Yeah. I think um, that's where I get stuck a little bit because I have the Robin Hood. I think I have some dormant acorns account somewhere um <laughs> i don't like having these other i don't like having the accounts kind of spread out i would like to have them in-house um, yeah so that's something to consider is finding a brokerage firm that maybe gives you the ability to do yep. a little bit of everything yeah i mean you don't want to have too many investment accounts or iras floating around out there first of all the irs looks at your even if you have a hundred different roth iras at a hundred different firms um you can only put in 5500 total the irs looks at all of your hundred roth iras as one account mm. so you can't be like oh i'm going to open a vanguard roth and put 5500 there put another 5500 in the td ameritrade roth like it doesn't work that way 5500 mm -hmm. flat total <laughs> each year oh, yeah that, yeah don't don't try and game the irs now yeah, no, don't. no, 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 no. This is not yeah. what we're saying to do. I mean, that's the a good. IRS is, 
it's like a 16 year old girlfriend, right? They're like, oh no, no, no. I know all the tricks of the trade. I will do my research. I will find you. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too like deep into it, but taxes are something to talk about when you're talking about investing. And I mean, what's yeah. like a nice, I don't know how to even gently broach this subject, but it's something that I've had to think about more is my taxes. And, you know, as I start investing, do I need to do I need like a, a, a CPA who is um, experienced with investments and can help me, you know, limit my tax, um, my tax liability? How does, you know, what sorts of things should we be thinking about when we start investing outside the 401k? CPAs keep in mind that they're not necessarily savvy on the um, retirement planning rules. I found that very few of them actually know the retirement tax planning side of it um, in terms of whether or not you can deduct. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had several cases where clients actually weren't even allowed to put money into their Roth IRA because their income was so high. And we had to withdraw the money or, or file a correction because you get penalized 6% if you over-contribute to your IRAs, I don't know if you guys are aware of that or the audience members, if you put too much, even if it's a dollar, guess what? You're going to pay 6% on that dollar. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I started getting worried about that last year. I was over-saving on my 401k. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so you just have to file a bunch of paperwork to to correct that contribution and withdraw it. And then, and then guess what? Even if you made, uh, say, you're, you put in 100 bucks, over-contributed 100 bucks, and that $100 grew to $500, guess what? You're going to have to pay taxes on the gains that occurred within that account <laughs> and what you withdraw, too. So, so be careful about your income level when, when you contribute to a Roth IRA because not everybody qualifies to put money into it. And, and we can get into more sexy tax planning strategies of do back, <laughs> of doing right. the backdoor Roth, but, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. so it's just something to consider. Like, so when you're, when you're hiring, a, so I, I know that I work with you, Helen, and just to be transparent, like Helen, we meet like twice a year, you know, um, mm-hmm. with you. We were meeting once a month the year that we were getting married and kind of joining our finances. You were kind of our financial therapist for that year. Um, <laughs> and now we're doing biannual, but, um, and, you know, my tax preparer has always been separate, but so it, it would be sort of finding a, a new tax accountant or a tax preparer who has what kind of background, like what should I be looking for? And also I'm going to run them by you just so you can you know, <laughs> let me know. I usually like to read their tax filings um, or your tax filings and, and see how, how they've been doing it. Um, you know, try to look for a CPA, somebody with that designation, because they in their exam, they, they have encountered the retirement rules or the retirement saving rules. But it's but, you know, just because somebody has the CPA designation, be careful about their background, because some of them are corporate CPAs who just left the corporate world and now they're doing personal taxes, which is a completely different thing. Mm. So um, be careful. Just because they have CPA doesn't mean that they've ever filed any individual taxes for couples or for single people with businesses. Um, so what I would really recommend is is when you vet out CPAs particularly, ask them how long they've been doing it and what type of taxes they have been filing for the last five years, at least five years of filing personal taxes is what I look for. Okay. 
mm-hmm. it's always good to have both people talk to each other. Like my yes. my CPA, my accountant, and my um, financial advisor, like during like at, at least twice a year, the three of us will kind of get on the phone because there are things that I'm like, like Carlos would be like Tiffany. You did not tell me that. I'm like, was I supposed to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like for example, I was I was contributing to a SEP. Yeah. But and I didn't I didn't tell Carlos, my accountant, that I he knew I was contributing to a, an, a, um, a retirement account, but he didn't know that it was a SEP. But then I switched from like an LLC to an S corp, which meant mm-hmm. that I was no longer self employed. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't I was not supposed to be contributing to a self employment retirement account. I was supposed to then switch over to something else, but I didn't know. And so mm-hmm. he was like. So even now we're kind of digging our way out of like, oh, Tiffany, I was like, yeah. I didn't know. So now I, now my financial people, it's important that they're willing and open to speak to each other because there yes. are things I'm going to leave out. Yes. Yes. And be very wary of those who try to do everything in house because filing taxes and doing accounting, especially for businesses, that's like a full, more than a full-time job in itself. And then they're like, oh yeah, we also do investment planning. I'm like, give me a break, dude. There's no way. Um, so like, like for me, I just do straight financial planning and help with the investments and choosing the investments and building clients portfolios, but I don't touch any of the taxes. I'm able to read it and understand it and talk to, um, the tax advisor or CPA intelligently and make him or her aware of my client's transactions because they'll call and say, Hey, um, what type of retirement business retirement account do you have set up? Like, how did she move money around? Um, you know, can you send me the 1099s for her uh, retirement accounts or how much she contributed to it, which is a completely different form too. So, so it would be like, it would be good if you had both working in tandem with each other and they actually like each other. (laughs) That's important too. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, this has been so helpful. I think I'm finally going to get off my ass and get this stuff together, Helen. (laughs) (laughs) Stop sitting on that cash. I know even if you, if you're, let's just say your emergency savings is like, a hundred thousand dollars. Like, when are you going to write a hundred thousand dollar check for anything? And you're already well, like right now, Helen. Like right now, Helen, for this renovation. But <laughs> after renovation. this renovation, Helen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start small and then start easing. Well, first we've got to rebuild um, the savings that we're spending. <laughs> yeah. And I think that you've been good about helping me realize. Okay, you're gonna spend it now, but do the math and find out how long it will take you to replenish your savings. Like it actually won't take you this long. It'll take you, you know, this many months. Um, so that's the next step. And I think definitely like early next year, we can hopefully be a little bit recovered and able to start investing, um, into, into 2019. Yeah. Yes. Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you, that's Helen. Great. Yeah. Any other questions? I love talking money. So. <laughs> I do. We're going to have to do more investing shows. I know we're going to get a flood of questions after this episode, a flood. And if you guys have sent investing questions and we've ignored them because we ain't ex- we are not experts, um, please resend them. You can hit us up at brownambitionpodcast at gmail.com or, yep, or go to brownambitionpodcast.com and hit the Ask Us Anything tab for your questions. Maybe we'll have Helen back on the show. <laughs> get some free advice. Yes. Anytime. <laughs> thank you so well, much for coming on the show yes Absolutely. it was so helpful thank you yeah anytime
Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? (laughs) (laughs) In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen.